So let me begin this morning by offering um, before lecture chant. And for those of you that know the chant, you're welcome to chant along. Hopefully muted makes it easier. And unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. So settle, settle, settle. I see everybody stirring around. You've been so still. But this is an opportunity to um, to be together. I'll, I'll offer short, maybe 15 minutes of commentary and then an opportunity to, to really be in conversation together. I am so um, grateful for the last line of this old chant, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words, Tathagata, one coming from suchness, Tathagata. I love the almost mantric name of the Buddha beyond Buddha, ancient teaching, suchness, the teaching of suchness. What is the taste? How do we taste the truth of teaching that uh, is meant to nourish us and hopefully does and will and can to really digest this truth, to chew on it, to ruminate, to chew and to let the teaching pass through five stomachs until it's fully digested and incorporated. And we're tasting the truth, the ever-changing truth of the teaching. I've been extraordinarily grateful for the for the teachings from Standing at the Edge. Roshi Joan giving us the courage and the capacity and the container to actually remember um, and build, build courage and nerve to face uh, the suffering and truth of our times uh, to, and to do it in community. So not only uh, individually, but very much in community. And that, you know, then hence we're willing to begin because we know each other and trust each other and are made of each other. We're willing to begin morning meditation by looking at what's out of balance, where there is injustice and suffering, racial, economic, environmental, economic, spiritual crisis, edginess. We're willing to go there, first of all, before we settle and dedicate ourselves to sitting. We're willing to do to do this. We're willing to taste uh, bitter, sour, astringent truth, not just focusing and chasing after what is sweet, salty, and sweet together, but what, what is also um, bracing. We're willing to taste that truth and to digest, to digest it. And what helps us is Guidelines again, just a reminder that we're studying this book to develop the spiritual and moral nerve to 
really look deeply at the challenges facing our climate right now and our world. So we focused uh, on the state of um, let me make sure that I, being altruistic, empathetic, living in integrity this morning, coming from respect, and then next week really looking at the importance of engagement. These five states, so important for us. And I love uh, respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. The capacity to regard with honor and esteem and also to look back, to look back at what's behind us to, and to overlook what's ahead of us with the capacity to honor every single morsel that we're called to taste and digest. Uh, respect, radical respect. To, and also, again, from Thich Nhat Hanh reminding us, respect is to look again to ask yourself, are you sure? Could you maybe look again and see a little bit deeper? Wonderful stories of Zen masters of old challenging the um, younger students, bring me, bring me a coal from the stone cold ash of the fireplace, bring me a live coal. I'm sorry, Master. Everything is out. It's quiet. The fire is out. The Master going in with a sharp pointed stick, metal rod maybe, stirring the coals, digging down deep, looking again. And lo and behold, a live coal from down deep rises up to the surface and bursts into flame. And practice is renewed by looking again respectfully and having the willingness to do that, even at what is difficult. And Roshi Joan reminds us, if we come from threefold respect, first of all, respect for others and their views. Respect and curiosity, and gratitude to Yvonne Rand, uh, next door neighbor for so many years. I think one of her primary teachings was respectful reverence and curiosity. Just the delicious curiosity to know what am I actually seeing and to be astonished by that live coal jumping up through cold ash and igniting commitment to look again and to look with curiosity. I remember um, in early years of practicing with Yvonne, she always um, admired, she had a real feeling for the radiant life of animals. And in particular, she called upon um, the llamas, the, the, those beautiful um, animals that guard sheep. Why are they such good guardians? She said, because they respect the flock, but they're also deeply curious and alive to what's happening. So any, anything out of the ordinary a good guardian, a good respectful guardian goes to investigate for the well-being of others. 
and actually flocks protected by um, yamas are very lucky flocks because of the combination of curiosity and respect for the beings that are being guarded. So we could take a lesson and remember how important it is to respect the views of others and the commitments of others. And then also to have deep respect, willingness to look again at your own principal values. What matters most? Or as John asked us last week, what's ripening in me? What value, what commitment is ripening? Is ripening in you? In principle from um, from the Latin to, to reach and to pinch and to grab the, the prow the, the prow of a ship. The very the very first planks that ply open the waters are have the same uh, word, descriptive word as principle. So what what pushes into rough water first of all? What what guides you? What are your principal values? And respecting when you can respect your own capacity to know what your principles are, then it may be easier to reach out with respect for others. And of course that connects with the third aspect of respect, which is self-respect. Again, from Roshi Jones' book, um, she's quoting Joan Didion, I have a sense, to have a sense of your own intrinsic, internal, intrinsic, essential worth. Now this constitutes self-respect, having a sense of your own intrinsic worth and capacity. So this constitutes self-respect, which is the ability to discriminate, to live, to love, and also to remain indifferent, not tossed away by the things of the world. To respect, to, and to respect your own capacity to change, to be evolving by everything you meet without being tossed away. I know I've mentioned, you always return to Katagiri Roshi's three guidelines. First, he says, just continue under all circumstances. Make a positive effort for the good and don't be tossed away. This is basic self-respect. Just continue under all circumstances. Make a positive effort for the good and don't be tossed away. That means you're willing to both be contingent and generated by everything you connect to and also to stand at the edge, to stand your ground, to stand by your words, to stand by your truth, to be respectful and to be curious, to meet, hear, and taste the truth of other people's truth. I remember um, Blanche Hartman at San Francisco Zen Center telling us a formative story in her life. Um, she was a political activist for all of her life, as well as being an extraordinary Zen priest and teacher, a person of deep compassion and capacity. 
and in connection with her partner, Lou Hartman, they were primary teachers and guides for us at San Francisco Zen Center throughout the early years of the organization. Blanche and Lou, Lou and Blanche, one being with many, many aspects. And I remember Blanche in particular could be very adamant and fierce. She was at a demonstration. They grew up in Berkeley. They raised their four children in Berkeley. They had a whole life with Berkeley Zen Center, full, vibrant life with Berkeley Zen Center. Blanche was a chemist. She worked as a chemist. And Lou was a homekeeper. He had been blackballed during the McCarthy era. And rather than giving up his principles, he stayed at home and raised the children and cooked. And they both had an active, dynamic Zen meditation practice. Blanche was often on the front lines, and she told a story that I never forgot of her being in a demonstration. And somehow she got, actually, maybe because of her age, she always was proud to be an elder citizen in particular, to be on the front lines. In this particular case, she was shunted to the very front of the front lines. And she found herself face-to-face across a barrier with young um, policemen who had a baton and was there to keep the demonstrators back from, um, from the place of demonstration. And Blanche was right at the front line. And she tells the story of pushing and fighting and surging and being carried by the mob behind her and then suddenly looking up into the terrified face of this young policeman and seeing his eyes, his nervousness, his vulnerability right in front of her. And it was a life-changing moment for her and for those of us who heard her story. She said in spite of herself, she felt this upwelling of love and respect for the person who causes and conditions had drawn him to being on the opposite side of the barrier from her. And yet their basic uncontested humanity was so visible in that march. So I'm talking about that kind of R-E-S-P-E-C-T for each other that surprises you and stops you in your tracks. And it's necessary to face our times, to face respectfully how we have evolved and devolved and created the world we've created. And true to course, Roshi Joan reminds us of the danger of falling over the edge of respect to into disrespect, disregard. Again, disregard, regard, look again. Respect and regard, honoring and esteeming the so-called other being, falling over the edge into disrespect, into othering, into bullying, and into what she calls, I think beautifully, horizontal hostility among peers and vertical violence. Fantastic, uh, grounded images of horizontal Uh, hostility among our peers, particularly rampant, she points out vividly and um, painfully, particularly sadly um, 
present among those we're closest to, our own sisters and brothers, our own co-practitioners, where we begin to judge and discriminate and practice with um, well, just improper speech. We lose track of the virtues that I chanted and honored this morning. The traveler who's reached the goal, the end of a journey, an aspiration for practice, always making effort. Somehow with the people we're closest to, we forget that great vow and wander into the weeds of disrespect and hostility, horizontal hostility, absolutely painful. Your Dharma, and especially when it happens, and it does happen in the Dharma family as well. Why would we believe for a moment we could be exempt? So to come back again, to come to our senses, not puffed up, not wishing great riches even for our own family, come back to respect and recognition of the immense effort all beings are making, and at the same time, be willing to speak out against injustice, to be absolutely scrupulously honest and kind in speech. So coming back from the edge of hostile, horizontal, hostility, and vertical violence. Vertical violence is usually when there's bullying from the lower ranks or the lower echelons of a hierarchy, in particular of a hierarchy. I think Blanche recognizing this was a young, young officer, police officer in Berkeley, Oakland police, young member right there at the front line. And the vertical violence was somehow entrusted to him by, by his um, superiors. So often the difficulties we're facing are part of horizontal hostility or vertical violence. And to be aware of that and not be swept away, to keep in mind our bigger and stronger intention. So important to be able to do that whenever possible. And hopefully a heart of compassion helps us be willing. Just check. Keep us from state scapegoating, shunning, judging. I think of um, my youngest sister, it's her birthday today. My youngest sister has had two powerful and life-challenging bouts with cancer, first with breast cancer. And I, I always think of her during this season. To, again, it's her birthday today, but um, her first experience of breast cancer in early August of 2001, she lived in New York City. Um, she had two young children. She was, um, she went through um, the mastectomy and also reconstruction of her body in uh, August of 2001. And living in New York City, this was a, 
a scant month before 9-11. She was in the hospital. And just, she has the capacity to suffuse kindness in all directions, absolute interest in the nurses and in everyone who took care of her. And curiosity, at the same time, respectful curiosity. And um, so many people visited Debbie in the hospital. Um, I remember going to New York City, wanting to feed her. I had a whole roll in, rolling bag from um, L.L. Bean. I had a rolling suitcase and it was filled with vegetables from the farm, potatoes and the first apples and bunches of chard. And I can't believe I did this. I traveled to New York City um, to make her good meals and just wanting to nourish a person who is innately and deeply kind and respectful. So I'm thinking of my sister today and um, she had a business of um, for many, many years in New York City of creating beautiful clothing, handmade clothing. And she worked with pattern makers, particularly women from Korea and from Asia, extraordinary pattern makers who knew how to look at a human body and create a pattern just by looking at the body. And Debbie uh, was in charge of this business and on the top floor, the pattern makers worked. She was three floors in an old building in New York City. She lost her business during the pandemic when it was not possible to offer uh, clothing made of that, with that kind of care. People were just not coming forth and buying clothes like that. So Debbie, along with many, many others, lost her business. But for years, close to 30, 25 years, she maintained this business in the top floor of the pattern makers. And then in the middle floor, a whole level of um, women who worked to do the stitching, the hand stitching and machine stitching, beautiful, beautiful clothing. And before they made a garment, my sister would meet with them and talk about the life um, challenges and life story of the people they were building the garment for. Um, this person is, uh, you know, she would just tell their story to the pattern makers and to the, to the stitchers or the, the crew that made the clothing. <laughs> I, I did not intend to tell this story, but it's coming up. So I'm going to trust this and then we'll stop and, and hear from you about respects. Anyway, so, uh, she, she, when they stitched, they knew who they were making the clothing for. And that's the beauty of custom designed, beautiful clothing and beautiful cloth. So she, she selected this well and made every effort to design clothes that would amplify feeling of kindness and beauty and respect. Um, yes, it's a privilege to be able to wear clothing like this. It's also a privilege to take the time to create beauty, to clothe the body. So I love that they would always uh, know for whom they were making the clothes and, um, and that would be incorporated into the cloth, into the stitches, into the pattern, into the design, into the execution. And um, after her surgery, her team um, this team made Debbie a beautiful, soft, uh, gold <laughs> robe to wear because she'd had 
uh, mastectomy and also reconstruction. Given her life, that was something she felt was necessary to do uh, during that time. So she, she'd had a kind of major surgery and came back to her home and I was taking care of her. And one day the, the, the whole crew asked if they could come over and see her. It had been a few weeks since her surgery. And um, <laughs> so they did, they came over and I had a deep pleasure of creating a beautiful food for everyone. And we sat in the living room and fed the people that, have, that were maintaining her business, keeping it going. And then there, some of the women had brought their children and they asked if I would play with the children in another room and I did so. And Debbie said to them, do you want to see my stitches? <laughs> so everyone cleared out of the room and she opened up that robe and shared um, her own body. It was deeply respectful. I think the people working with her never forgot, excuse me, I didn't expect again to bring this up, but that's what respect does, it opens the doorway so and the women I know I said well what was it like Debbie it was it so intimate she said oh they loved the stitches they got right in and studied how the breast had been reconstructed and just an amazing story and she buttoned up the robe again tied the sash and we had tea the kids came back could we have that level of respect as we go forward, that level of willingness to look at difficulty with curiosity and regard to, as Fleet Mall encourages us, to be vulnerable, to be deeply accountable in our looking and to take self-responsibility for what we're seeing and how we're focusing to trust and to feel connectedness, even with uh, superiors who are bullying you. And to be fearless. Fleet, who worked for so many years in the prison system and is a frontline chaplain now, encouraging us to work. And then to ask ourselves when we speak, is, is what I'm saying true? Is it kind? Is this... Are these words beneficial? And are they necessary words? And is this the right time to speak? How do I meet, greet, and maintain a level of respect? And um, tasting the truth. And so respect is a hugely important capacity to develop when looking at difficulty. Although we may question the motives of those who chose to investigate the wreck of the Titanic, to go under the ocean, to spend so much money doing that, and to actually lose their lives doing so, can we also respect their curiosity, their adventuresome spirit, and hold both realities 
the capacity to hold, respect, and withhold judgment a bit in order to go forward. And maybe it's that kind of curiosity and commitment that allows us to think outside of the confines of our limited, fearful, um, narrowness. Yeah, like, like the, the chant says, to, in the light of vision, find your freedom, where your thoughts are peace, words are peace, and your work is peace. Then the world gets very much bigger, huge respect for the world. And you can see, oh, 75,000, however, however many, 7,500 extinct volcanoes. Perhaps in those volcanoes, carbon could be stored, the world could be restored. You begin to think in a different, deeply respectful and curious way, with integrity, with complete empathy, with respect, with engagement, and with a, a measure of altruism, where you're not putting yourself forward, but you're meeting the world with these qualities. <laughs>